Take your Bible side, if you would, and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And then, if you'd like to, or I can just read this in a moment. I'm going to reference a place in Hebrews, chapter 10, as well. So, uh, a couple, well, I guess it's been a little month ago, uh, Anna called me and said, Hey, Dad, can we use the back guest bedroom. And uh, they were getting ready to move. So I was thinking, she's asking if she can come stay with us uh, for a while. Of course, I'm doing the math. That's her and Blaine and three little ones and a dog. And, uh, but that's not what she wanted. She says, no, I, we're not going to come stay. She, she goes, I, I need a place for my plants. <laughs> well, and I, I've been in Anna's house lots of times. But until you start calculating plants, so she gets a truck, like one of those kind of, I think it's one of those, Josiah has like those trucks, that, you know, box truck. And she, they spent a day unloading plants into my back bedroom in that back hallway back there. I don't know what the count was, but Anna, how many plants? 157. 157. And all of them have names. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so Anna is a plant person. And, and it's really beautiful. I mean, the way she's done her house, and she moved closer to me. And uh, anyway, they, so she, she has these beautiful plants, and it's great. Well, so she's kind of got Terry into plants. And so we have an ever-growing number of plants in our home. And now, a lot of these plants are rescue plants, I've, I found out. So some plants, you know, cost a lot of money, you know, buy nice ones. Then some are like rescue plants. And so these are like the ones you see at the back row of somewhere that cost 29 cents and they're begging you to take them away. And so we've got some of those kind of plants. Well, you know, uh, plants for the most part, when they are provided what they need to grow and to flourish, they, they just do that. And so, you know, a couple of words I, I've used in the past here in preaching is the idea of flourishing. And that, you know, God really designed us as human beings and as Christians to flourish. You know, uh, God um, wants you and I to be the best version of who He's created us to be. Um, he, he wants us to be, as I get to a moment, uh, really interconnected in a positive way with other people in the church. And, you know, we flourish best when we have interconnectedness, when people meet the conditions of what we need in our heart and our soul. You know, that's, that's the converse of languishing. You know, these plants that Terry and Anna buy sometimes need, that need rescue, they're languishing. You know, they, they, they don't have water, and uh, they don't, they've not been kept in the sunlight, and, and they're just languishing. But then when someone shows them a little TLC, you come back and look at that same plant in three weeks, and it's like, what was that? What happened? You know, Anna goes too far. She goes, Dad, speak life into the plant. Speak, you know, and I'm like, no, I'm not speaking no life into any plant. But... Um, but the, the, the sentiment, you know, I get it. What we take care of flourishes, and what we don't take care of languishes. And that's true, like, again, just the rain. Um, things are going to flourish in the next few days. And then, you know, if we go through a, a dry spell again, then, you know, plants will suffer for that. And, and so the thought I have tonight is really about fellowship and our responsibility to one another to help each other flourish in that way. You know, by, by meeting some of the needs that we have. So go ahead and stand with me tonight if you would. We're going to look first of all in Romans chapter 12. And this is really a, a text about gifts, but um, 
I, I just want you to understand, the, we look at this kind of technically. Okay, so you have this gift, you have this gift, you have this gift, but we miss the larger idea, is that my gift is for you. I mean, again, Captain Obvious, but it's not like we kind of technically have something in a notebook, and that's my assignment, um, in terms of what I've been given. No, you've been given a gift in order to exercise it with people. And, and, and to help each other connect. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ. And now that's really important. That's, just not a, that's not just a, a doctoral thought. One body needs to be together. You know, if you, you separate my arms and my legs and my head and my heart and scatter them out, that's not the same thing as they, the way they function when they're all together. You know, just because they're there, they have a role to play in this one body as we do. And so again, verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and every member one of another. Having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches or teaches, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And so he's saying, exercise these gifts together. Okay, now in the book of uh, Hebrews, chapter 10, and uh, just a couple of verses that are very familiar. In verse 24, and this is a text we often use to encourage people to come back to church, you know, every week. But there's another thought here. Again, if, it depends on how, how you look at it. It says, and let us consider one another. Now, the word there means encourage. Or to, um, we look at this, this idea of provoke, okay, so let us, you know, kind of admonish each other. But the idea is really this, is there's two parts. There's a time we are to provoke or admonish. But we also need to consider, we need to be kind. We, we need to encourage one another. And so it says, let us consider one another to provoke into love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And the key thing is, is we need to be together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Lord, we thank you so much for the day, and Lord, the time we've uh, had together already in fellowship, and Lord, obviously the topic I I'm going to preach on tonight. Lord, I just want us to be more thoughtful, and to continue to be thoughtful about the time we spend together, the quality of the time we spend together, and Lord, we'd be intentional about being considerate one to another, of being well, not just here in attendance as one body, but functioning that way in terms of encouragement and admonition and helping one another. And so I ask for your help with this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. I think something that all of us realize is that God uses people to help people. Um, God does a great work in our hearts. We are utterly dependent upon the Lord and we need His intervention in our life every day. But in a practical way, what helps us uh, succeed and be successful in life is other people. We're, you know, God put together an institution, the family, and that's because families are uh, individuals who work together in close proximity and uh, intended to be primarily in the environment of love for the sake of human flourishing and in God's purposes, Christian flourishing. God uses people, and God wants to use people to touch and shape people. And when I say that, I mean obviously in a positive way. Unfortunately, a lot of human action, interaction is not positive. You know, human beings are a lot like porcupines. We're really dangerous. 
And sometimes our interaction with each other, even if we could get close to each other, is not always for the best. And, uh, but, but that's not God's intention. God's intention is for us to interact and be together in such a way that we touch and shape each other in a positive way. You know, a simple way to think about this, this is how I look at my role as pastor, is it is my job to help you as a church family stand in better stead at the judgment seat of Christ. And just in a better, you know, and by that, I, you know, I want you to get every reward that God would want you to get and intend for you to get at the judgment seat of Christ. I'd like there to be as little hay, wood, and stubble as there has to be. And so when I think about what I do when I stand up behind the pulpit or my interaction with you in the office or really just anywhere, I, I, want, I want to touch and shape another life in such a way that you are better for it. Well, well the Bible teaches that as our responsibility with, with each other. Um, all of our words are supposed to be encouraging. Our interactions are supposed to be positive. And that doesn't mean always maybe nice the way we think about nice. Sometimes admonishing and exhorting, um, you know, is difficult. But the idea is whatever I do for you should help you be a better person. And really the interaction you have with me, and it, it almost always is, should be that way as well. We leave on each other sometimes indelible marks. That would be certainly true in the confines of a family. You know, uh, my children, my wife, bear my marks. They are people who have been touched by my life, good or bad, positive, negative. Um, a lot of that, you know, like my children especially would bear out in their own personality. They would be in some way a reflection of who I have been in the time they have known me. We leave these marks on each other's life. And of course, what we'd like for them to be is positive. Our interactions with others are never inconsequential. You know, we, we might think of them often as benign, you know, as, you know, that was a quick interaction. There's not a lot there. And, and, and that might be that way. But minimally, by even saying hello or how are you or whatever, you know, some minimal interaction is the acknowledgement of a person. They are words spoken to them. Um, it is, it is, it's just, again, you're noticing someone. And sometimes we just like and need to be noticed. You and I are unique creations of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I am, now I want you to get this thought, it's real simple. I am the object of God's love. God cares about me. Okay, now you, you get what I'm gonna, where I'm going with this? God loves me. Okay, you're a unique creation of God. He made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are designed and he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. He cares about you dearly and intimately in a special way. So then if we are informed with that knowledge, I need to be careful with the person whom God loves. Does that make sense? You know, I need to be careful with the person whom God loves. If, if God, God loves Brian, he loves him dearly. And, and God is always uh, working for good in Brian's life. He, he is trying to accomplish that which he has purposed to do in his life. God is on a mission in this life to help Brian to be the person he's supposed to be and serve him. And, and what odds would I be with God if I got in the way of that process? If I somehow acted in his way, in his life, that didn't accomplish the same good that God is trying to accomplish in his life. And so that's when I say our interaction is not inconsequential. I need to remember when you come, when, okay, when you come talk to me, God loves me. 
And when God, when I speak to you, I need to remember, hey, God loves you. I mean, you are valuable to him. And so when, when we talk and interact, that's something as simple as this we need to keep in mind. As a person, I cannot detach my behavior and my attitude toward, towards you because God loves you. He cares about you. And, and conversely, and that's something we don't often grasp or consider. Our connection with others touches a connection with God. You know, I look at Jerry here, I think about, you know, we've raised daughters. And uh, so, you know, these guys come around and want to date our daughters. When of course, they're all married, don't have to worry about it. And so, you know, when a guy would come in and met my daughter, we'd have a conversation about this. And I would remind him that uh, at this point, she belongs to me. And so, whatever connection happens here, I'm involved in it. Does that make sense? I mean, we understand as parents, right? You know, if someone comes out in the playground and makes you feel comfortable with a kid, you're going to be involved because that kid is yours. Well, we are God's children. I, I don't want to press the point too far, but it's just a, it's something we need to consider. It's not as benign as we might, we, we might think. A connection with others touches a connection with God. That's why Jesus said, you know, um, if you've done that to the least of these, you've done it to me. You know, that application is certainly true in terms of like, you know, our mission in terms of helping relieve poverty and pain in the world, taking care of people, loving people as Jesus does. But, but it also teaches the same lesson. That person is connected to God. And I can't detach myself from that connection. Matter of fact, I would serve myself best by acknowledging that connection. To love God is to love one another. And to love one another, the Bible says, is to love God. These are the two greatest things we are called to, to love God and to love people. But in many ways, practically speaking, we demonstrate love for God by the way that we treat each other and how we connect. What happens between me and you or you and another person is never just simply a human interaction. There, 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 is, there is something eternal in it. Every person in this room is an eternal soul. Everyone here is. We, we are not as ordinary in that sense as we might think. Because the Spirit of God desires to powerfully work in every encounter for someone's good, I need to be part of those powerful good encounters. And that is why I think fellowship, and not just an idea, but the kind of fellowship is vitally important and something we give consideration to. Fellowship is more than just a Sunday school activity. It is the place where God intends to use us, me, you, as a source of blessing and flourishing in another person's life. So, you know, Terry and I have been busy, and it, this doesn't happen because Terry is super consistent with plants. But, um, but in fact, if I water the plants, I get in trouble because I'm interfering with some schedule. But, but if I was, you know, in another world, if a plant wasn't being taken care of, and I was to interact with the plant, you know, the interaction there, I'm going to take some water or some fertilizer and I'm going to pour it in. And as a result of my interaction with that plant, the plant's going to be better. Make sense? Okay. And, and that's, that's what God intends for us. That's why we say things in part like why Sunday night is, is so important. You know, there's, there's, there's a Bible lesson taught. The, the, the kids are down here learning something as well. And they want a program. We're, we're, we're getting information, but it, it also needs to be a little bit of time of watering. Hey, I was just encouraged by being here today. Hey, I, got, I talked to Brian before service, and I enjoyed that. Um, I, I spent some time with the deacons before the service, and, and that was productive and enjoyable. And, 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 and that interaction, when we leave, should not be draining. It should be the opposite. It should be filling. 
And, and so, you know, the question begins to ask is, am I feeling anyone? Am I helping anyone? Is someone better because of my interaction? We, we've come to church. We, we, we've done the, the, the assignment. But who's better because you were here? Who's been touched by it? An academic journal called the Journal of Happiness Studies published research on the tools of science identifying that which uh, encourages, and I've used this word, human flourishing. It's, it's a biblical concept. When researchers look at what distinguishes happy people or flourishing people from unhappy people, one factor constantly separates the two groups. And it's not how much money they make, not the place where they live, not even how good their health is, surprisingly, not security or for young people popularity or their attractiveness, it's not their intelligence or IQ or even the successful of their career. What separates and distinguishes flourishing people, happy people, joyful people from less happy and joyful people is the presence of rich, joy-producing, life-changing, meaningful relationships. It's like water and plants. It's what makes us grow. It's what makes people good. You know, I, I've said this before, and, uh, and I am being pastoral, but, but I often say we, we have an activity. Or even like in tonight's a, a church, you know, a lot of people just elect, and not Easton, that's not true. People sometimes elect not to be a part. They just elect not to be a part. Well, you know, peep, two, two entities are being hurt there, potentially. And there, there might be real reasons for being gone sometime. But number one, um, you may be hurt by not being, getting the interaction that God intended for you to get from some other person. And it just may be if you came in a good spirit, you might help me in a way that I couldn't be helped if you weren't here. It's not just about you, it's about us. It's about the body. It's about, you know, what Romans say, we're, we're all members together. And if the foot kind of habitually doesn't show up, if the eyeballs are here once every third time we meet, it's kind of hard for us to be what we're supposed to be, Right. Now, I don't even mean to be a negative. To me, that's, that's, that's kind of an, that's in a positive. You know, you have a role, an assignment, and you don't know what positive interaction God may be intended for you to have with somebody today to make a difference. It's a, it's a big deal. It makes a difference. Being connected to God and others in a positive, significant way is important. Spending time with people who we care about and who care about us is indispensable to human flourishing. Um, and that's why God puts people together in groups and pods. That's why we have a family. That's why we have community. That's why we have church. You know, these, these are not just incidences of evolution. These are institutions that God put, to, put together because we need that. People flourish best at that when, they, when these things interact in positive ways like they're supposed to. Having a positive connection with family and friends at church is one of the smartest things we can do to secure what's best in us and for us. Social researcher Robert Putman, Robert Putman said this, the single most common finding in 50 years of research on life satisfaction is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and depth of one's social connections. And that is true. That's how God made us. God made us, I've used this so many times, sort of like Legos, you know, um, we're to be connected. We are to be here. That's what God wants for us. He made us for connection, for fellowship. I mean, we are made in the image of God. God created him. He, he made us, male and female, in his image. Well, that image has a, a lot of implications to it. But one of the fundamental ideas about God is that he exists in plurality. 
the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest angsts of the cross we just recently studied was the separation in the Trinity. It was when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What's he really saying? Why are we not having the fellowship that we've had from eternity past? Now that didn't last long. It was corrected. It was, it was rectified. But we are made in that image for connection. When we stand in God's image, that is one of the primary things that is implied. The entire motive of God's love was to reconcile us back into relationship with God, which our sin had estranged us from Him. Right? Our iniquities have separated us from our God, the book of Isaiah says. Well, the, 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 a big part of the plan of God, one of those fancy words is reconciliation. And that means to bring back together again. God never moved. We did in our sin. But through the blood of Christ, we have been reconciled. That's why we can go to the throne of God and cry, Abba, Father, the book of Hebrews. We, we can approach God. And we can be better connected as humans because of what we learn in Christ. It is because of this great reconciliation. God desires our companionship. We are creatures made in His image, and so we flourish best when we are connected to Him in fellowship and with each other. Now, that's a whole other sermon, is staying connected to God. God Himself said of the creation of the first man, it is not good for Him to be, next word please, alone. Was He perfect? Was Adam perfect? Was he without flaw? Yes. Was his environment perfect? <laughs> perfect guy? Perfect creation? What could be imperfect? Well, he was made in the image of God, and it was not good for him to be alone. It's just not good. It's not good for us or anyone to be alone. Remember, it is the threefold cord that is strongest in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's why Jesus, one of his greatest, you know, what people remember about Jesus is he was a friend to sinners. He wouldn't let people be alone. He would not suffer the lepers to, to exist in isolation. He would not let the people of ill repute stay that way. It wasn't just their physical diseases that, that hurt them. It was the emotional hurt of the heart of isolation. And Jesus cured their heart not just in touching the disease or the infirmity, but he touched, you know, their soul by giving them someone to fellowship with. In the book of Ephesians, you know, Paul says that we are to be rooted and grounded in love. And I love that picture. You know, uh, the soul of our lives, the soul of our heart, the soil of this, of your family, this, the soil of the church should be, we should be rooted and grounded in what kind of soil? Love. Goodness, kindness. Okay, you know the buzzword, one of the contemporary buzzwords of our culture is toxic. Now, it wears me out a little bit. Um, it's overused, you know, because everybody's toxic anymore. But the idea is, I get this, you have, you have dirt and you, you pour bleach in it, you pour acid, something in it, and you put a plant in there. That is not rooted and grounded in love. And there's, you should have no expectation that that plant will ever grow. Right? Okay. 
And so here's a church, you know, for application. When people come in here, they should be able to find a place where they can be rooted and grounded in love, where people love each other, where they're serving each other, where they have a right spirit and they're good and kind. And listen, I've been to a lot of churches and it'd be hard to be rooted and thrive in some of them based on the reception that sometimes I see people get. I don't ever want that to be true here. And so the idea is that we are to care for one another. When people interact with us by smiling, touching, helping, kind words, gracious, thoughtful acts, that is the soil that nurtures the soul and people can grow in. And that is, again, true in our homes. When we interact with others in indifferent, negative ways, we are directly responsible for destroying the soil which God wants cultivated for their good. Now think about that. Okay, don't think about it too much. The last argument you got in with somebody, we'll make it easy, the spouse. The last time. So, you know, you're discussing and talking about facts and issues and all these things that to you and to us are so pressing in the moment and we're forgetting that in the soil of their heart we're pouring toxins. Does that make sense? That's why there's so much hurt in a fight. It's not that I lost, you know, I, I got the facts wrong or hey, you were right. It's not that my humility can't handle it. It's that, man, something toxic happened in my soul. There's something here that's, that's hurting me. And God doesn't want us to interact with each other that way. That's why God says, be ye kind, tenderhearted toward one another. Love one another. Use your words carefully, wisely. Be filled with grace, seasoned with salt. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Because we make people grow and flourish and, 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 and serve God in a greater way, or we can hinder all of that. We can contribute to the demise of someone's spirit. Social scientist Donald Winnicott um, is discovering what God has built into the human heart through his, his studies. He found that when young children feel safe, now let's think about this. When children feel safe and secure, um, they feel that way most in, intensely when they are in the presence of their parents. And so children tend to be more brave uh, more, get more things done, uh, be healthier, uh, you know, have greater even academic success as they get older when they're in the presence of parents. They show more energy, they recover from disappointment quicker, they laugh and they play more in the presence of a healthy home. And it has to do with the circle of connectedness. It's not the parents are doing for the child something, you know, unseen. It's just that their presence is powerful. Their love is powerful. When you and I are loved, we are the best versions of ourselves. And I'm talking about Christian versions when I say that. Um, whoever Terry is, I, I, you know, I bear some responsibility for that because I'm with her so much. <laughs> We're together a lot. But if she looks happy, I'll take some of the credit. And if she's not, there could be other factors, but I, I can be partly to blame. Does that make sense? That could be true of all of us. To love another is to give them the greatest gift you can give them. Well, I, I'll buy a necklace and I'll get the car or I'll get the clothes, and that's, that's all great. But to give them your love, what's best is to give them the greatest possible good. To love someone is the greatest thing you can do and to fail to love someone 
is the greatest hurt you could ever do to another soul. You know, there's all kinds of studies here that people who are socially disconnected between, are between two and five times more likely to die prematurely than those in healthy relationships. Um, people who actually have good social connections are just overall healthier. So again, if you don't want to exercise, fellowship more. And that might, that might help you. So I just want to consider something. I'm going to turn it over for a second time. I'm going to be quick here. Book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I think Daniel was here recently. Um, but it's just a text that, that Paul says, think about other people. Consider other people. Esteem other people. Even more important than yourself. Ben was talking about this in a masterful sermon last week. One of the ways we can help ourselves and help others is by being a blessing. One of the joys of any relationship is the delight we receive in giving to other people. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Terry and I met 34, 35 years ago, depending on the, the month. I remember when we first met how I was excited about that relationship. It was in my heart to give gifts, speak graciously. We wrote notes. We, I paid special attention to her. I wanted to spend time with her. The words that I said were positive and good. And that attentiveness to her emotional felt needs, spiritual needs, I, I think um, was what she needed and what God intended. I, I think one of the reasons that we have a good marriage today is we still do those things. We try. Um, I don't know that a day has ever passed that I haven't told her I love her or she hasn't said I love you. That's often the first words in the morning, the last one we, we go to bed. Um, and it's not just rote, it's, it's making sure that we are loving each other in that way. It's that our connectedness that allows us to flourish. It is that time together. It's the way she takes care of me and I try to take care of her. And it's true in friendships. Many of the things and difficulties that occur in a church, um, you know, happen because people don't stay connected in these positive ways. There's times in the, in the ministry, um, I'll have someone come up to me and uh, they'll say, they, they say it this way, how's your week going? But they're not saying it like we say it normally, you know, in passing. Do you have a good week? They're looking at me like, how's your week going? So, you know, it's like they're, what they're saying to me, I see something in your eyes. Would you like to tell me about it? <laughs> You know, or we see, a, we see a drain here. You know, I don't, I ha, don't have the energy. You know, I don't, I, I don't have the meter that says halfway to empty or whatever. But, but, but people see that. And in, in right and appropriate ways, that's sort of what Philippians is talking about. Hey, things are going okay with you? You having a good week? You know, it's, just, it's, it's appropriate attention. It's not being overly involved in a weird way or unwanted way. It's, it's, it's caring about people. You know, when a son drives hundreds of miles to be with a mom on Mother's Day or for her birthday, that's considering other people. When you buy a friend a book that you think might help them, or you take them a meal, or mow a yard, that's considering people. When someone honestly, sincerely prays for another person, that's Philippians chapter 2. Um, when we take time to write a note of encouragement to someone who might need that, we're considering someone else. When we stay connected in that way, these positive touches, I think we're going a long way to what God wants us to say. 
There's this common saying, you've heard this before in real estate, location, location, location. And so the, if I was to describe the three laws of relationship, they might go like this, observation, observation, observation. Okay, it's like, not in a weird way, but when a church family meets together like we do all the time, it's not really hard someone, sometimes to see someone who maybe need a little bit of encouragement. All of us kind of look like wilted flowers sometimes. <laughs> I would be a really bright flower, but um, we all look like that, don't we? You know, and sometimes it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon to realize I, if I was just nice to them, if I, if I said some encouraging words, maybe if I wrote them a note this week, you know, knowing they're going through something, if I, if I bought that book, if I sent them a, uh, you know, a well, meal card thingies. I don't know what those are. My brain lost me. What's that? Thank you, babe. DoorDash. She loves me. Um, you know, that's the idea. Is is not just living in isolation, looking in the mirror. It's sometimes looking out at others and trying to be concerned. This is what Paul was admonishing in Philippians two. You know, someone has said, if you can't do great things, then do the little things that you can with love. And that's the idea. And then I think, secondly, we need to lift each other with words of encouragement. This is a whole other sermon that deserves one. But probably nothing in life has the power that words do to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt. Life and death are the power of the tongue. The old saying goes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me is absolutely a falsity. Words do hurt. And good words help. I love you. I'm proud of you. I appreciate you. Thank you. You are important to me. I apologize. Will you forgive me? I can do better. I mean, those kind of words are life-altering. When we look each other in the eyes and say words like these and others, they serve as conduits through which the Spirit can energize and, and grow us, in which we can be better and more for Christ, for our family, and others. For someone to just take the time to talk to us can make a difference. So, this is, I, I, I'm going to tell you what I hear. So, we have guests come. And so we do follow up with guests. And uh, I don't know what I think about this, but so when guests come, we do follow up. You know, I almost never hear this. Man, that was the best sermon I ever heard. Okay. Um, someone doesn't say, man, that, that was the most well-organized nursery I've ever seen. Um, they, they don't say, boy, the layout of that building was fantastic. Of course, that's never said here at Eastland. <laughs> I hear this all the time. That was the friendliest place I've ever been. I, I, I never have shaken, shook so many hands as I did when I came to that church. Um, that is often the difference maker, and that's what often gives us a chance for someone to maybe hear the preaching in time, to listen to a lesson that might change their life, to, to hear the Word of God enough to actually become repentant to see a need and do something different. It is incredibly important that we speak words to people. And we have guests here, we should speak words that way. And I could go on, but I'm going to stop. And then third and final tonight, try to, try to lighten others with our joy. Proverbs 17:22, a merry heart doeth a good like a medicine. And that works in every direction. Okay. I'm looking at some of you right now. Mm. 
I'm being serious. And you're sour. And if you're not, then you're faking it. Because you look sour. And so I, I don't like that. Well, I don't like it either. I'm looking at you. Now, hold on a second. I mean that. Well, I don't, that's not my responsibility. Who says it's not? Why would you think that? Why would you think that your countenance doesn't matter? That's indifferent. That's benign. I don't, who, who told you that? Seriously. I mean, just common sense. If people walked in the back door and saw um, a happy face multiplied by 600, you honestly think that's going to be the same experience if they walk in here and see the, an, unha an unhappy face multiplied times 600? You think that makes no difference? There's no responsibility that goes with that? Well, I'm one among many. I can, I can be sour and hide it. That is, that is so arrogant. And that is so irresponsible. I mean, you know, there's, there's lines of sight. You know, you only see so many different angles. In a church, you don't see 700 people. You see about 10. Okay. I know I just dove up the deep end with, with that one. But a merry heart doeth good like a medicine for me. I mean, any guy who stands here and looks at a, a face of a receptive audience is going to feel better about the message, be energized by the message, probably do a better job pre preaching the message than looking at an audience of people who are like, man, I hate my life. I hate being here. It's a good medicine for everyone. A 20-year study of more than 4,700 people inter interacting has discovered what God has always said, joy is a medicine, joy is contagious. This is a singular, unique study that I found. It was found that a truly joyful person can affect others even through the third degree of separation. Okay, that simply means this, that if I'm nice to Fred, Fred's more likely to be nice to Sharon, and Sharon's more likely to be nice to one of you. But if I have a negative interaction with Fred who has a negative interaction with Sharon, she's more likely to have a negative interaction with somebody else. So literally, I could be affecting someone from that third degree of separation um, and this happens to me like on Sundays all the time. You know, I, I've learned to shield myself a little bit because I'm just human. But someone comes in and drops a bomb, you know, and says, wow, did you know this? Uh, this, this thing has happened in the parking lot. I'm like, don't tell me that. Tell me after church, not right now. And I, there are, I can't tell you, this is a confession. On many walks from that place to this place, I have had to beg God for grace and help to change how I feel from there to right here. Amen. And it's work sometimes. Not just life. Um, but, you know, if the meetings before this have been positive and good, and then I've had three or four interactions, it absolutely affects the person who at least initially walks up here. I'd hope discipline over 20-something years you know, can help me overcome some of that. But it's just the way it is. And if my day's been bad, you know, we all know that spouses, the spouse has a bad day, they often bring that bad day home. Terry had a fix for that. She just put a coat rack outside the door and said, leave your bad attitude here before you come inside. So that just happened one time. And it was deserved. It was deserved. 
Joy is a medicine. It is contagious. It's like ripples in a pond. And if that's true, then you, your interaction with other people are so much more important than you think. So much more. Nothing gives energy like joy does. And uh, so can we just do this? Let's, let's work on fellowship. I think being together is super important. But then I think once we're together, the kind of people we are when we are fellowshipping is super important. And we can go home and start making an application by this by being more positive and happy and joyful with the spouse we live with, for the children who we care for, grandkids who might be around us. We don't need more nagging, complaining, negative, unhappy people. You know, in your home, and we don't need them here. Every one of us are going to be the droopy flower sometime. That's just life. We're all going to be that. Um, but being around good people will fix it. And fellowship with the Lord will fix it. And so let's, let's work on these responsibilities. It'll make you a better person. It'll help us be a stronger church. And I think it's what the Lord intends. All right? Let me ask you to stand if you would.